Hello and welcome to episode 286 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee. This is just a very quick note to basically talk to you what's happening with this episode. In the time since we recorded, Tony Snell and the 30th overall pick, most importantly in this context, has been traded to the Detroit Pistons. So this is the final entry in our series of draft prospects. It's Jordan and I running through the big men that we had seen as potential targets for the books. Put some thought into it. I said, will we continue to put this out? Will we leave it there? And going off the feedback that some of you have given us on Twitter, we're going to go ahead and put it out there. Who knows? Maybe the books pick up a second round pick. One of these guys remains available. But all in all, it does include some of mine and Jordan's favorite prospects of this class. And if you're going to be watching the draft and want to know a bit more about some of the guys, there'll be some good content in there. If you're not interested in that, don't worry. We will have a Tony Snell emergency trade podcast later this afternoon. That's Thursday afternoon. And if there are more dealings with the books later in the day, later on draft night, there's also the possibility for an additional podcast again, either late, late on Thursday night or sometime on Friday morning. Hope you enjoy. Oscar Robertson, Leos Indoor, what a year it has been. The Bucks are the world champions. Montcrief going inside. Ray Allen driving past Armstrong. The jam over McGrady. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton! Birthday, Jason Kidd, that places up the ground. Behind the back, Giannis, I did a good ball. Oh, my Holy moly. Dudley, up top, open, it's got a clean catch. Milwaukee wins it. Play basketball and win. And win? Yeah. How many games? Six. We're going to win the six. Hello and welcome to episode 286 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Right. Um, Jordan, we are <laughs> here to wrap up our sprawling, wide-ranging... Um, Very informative. Uh, you said that, not me. Um, look at so many of the prospects that the books could draft of course I've no doubt someone is going to come out of the blue that we haven't talked about and that's what will happen now Um, we've tempted fate but let's hope not let's hope we've got ourselves prepared we've got books fans prepared for all the various names that could be in the mix and what will face the books come draft night with that in mind we are wrapping up we've looked at guards we've looked at wings we've looked at forwards so what's left the big man. Um, best of the best, right, Jordan? Best of the best. This is what basketball is all about, you know? The Giants. The, the guys who are... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to... I'll move on before I guess get too deep into my appreciation for our centers. Um, I think this group is mostly centers. I mean, you've got some guys who could play a little bit at the four. Um, but I think ideally you'd look at them all as centers in today's NBA. I think we've got four players who have a real chance, varying on the scale of, of being there for the books. I don't think all four would be there. So it's almost guaranteed that some would go ahead. But I think that you'd have a good chance of at least two of them being in the mix. I should probably cut that four to three because I think there's one player who's its own different cases we get to later and then there's another player who's just a complete outlier on this and we should probably talk about anyway let's start on i guess the more conventional end of the scale though let's get underway with nick claxton um out of the university of georgia i will be up front nick claxton is one of my absolute favorite prospects in this year's draft Mm. I just think he is really, really different. And I can see the ways where some of the areas in this game that are currently weaknesses could be rounded out by a good development staff. Um, 
I guess to give something of a brief kind of guide, a lowdown, he is one of the best defensive bigs in the draft. He, I think it was 2.5 blocks per game, which led the SEC, 1.1 steals per game. Um, he does this while being a guy who can go inside and guard bigger guys, guard traditional centers, um, while also having the lateral quickness, the athleticism, the ability to switch on to much smaller players, just an incredibly versatile defensive big man. Um, he is basically a legitimate seven-footer. 611.75, I think is what his official combine measurement came in. I'm not going to, you know, what is a quarter of an inch between friends, Jordan? Uh, I'm not going to hold it against Nick Claxton. He's got very impressive size, seven, two and a half wingspan to go with that. And I think a lot of what he showed in college, there's no reason to believe it won't translate to the NBA on the defensive end of the floor. I mean, he's a naturally kind of tin frame player. Um, you could certainly look and say bulking up is going to be key for him if he does end up playing more of the five. At the moment, I think he's under 220 pounds. So really, you're talking about a strong wing, but he's a guy that you're going to look to to be a center. I don't think that's a big deal. I think physically there is something kind of Miles Turner-esque about his, his shape where you say, okay, you'd like him to bulk up. Maybe he can add some weight over time, but there's also, you know, if you're smart enough and if you know how to channel your length and get in the right positions, which they're all things it seems like he can do, you probably can get away with being not the strongest player in a lot of the matchups you deal with. It's not necessarily essential if you can just be so far ahead of your opponent in so many other facets. Um, adding to this on the offensive end, this is a seven-footer who has handled the ball quite a lot. Uh, Georgia has shown the ability to just, you know, grab a rebound and go. And willing and capable to pick out passers in those scenarios. That in itself is very interesting. I mean, the real key here and the key to whether Claxton's just, you know, a good kind of funky bench big or potentially someone who could become a really, really good starter. I don't think it's any way past his potential. It comes down to his shot. I mean, he's shown himself willing to take the tree. I think he shot about 31% from deep. So willing to take it, but needs to start making some more. I think there's enough about his game and the way he plays that it's worth taking the risk and seeing if he could iron that out. I think if he can't iron that out, you've got someone who could be a big who could give you really good energy off the bench, but also just physically has a lot going for him. Ideally, he will strengthen up, he'll bulk up, he'll work on that. But I think just kind of a general mix of skills, physical tools is really, really interesting. And honestly, I think I look this, we haven't, it's been kind of a byproduct of the way um, the book season ended so much later. Normally we would have had multiple mock drafts. I haven't done a mock draft. I haven't done a big board, anything like that this year. I think if I was doing a big board anyway, Nick Claxton would be a lot higher than the range he's likely going to be drafted in because I think there's some real diamond in the rough potential here. I agree. He was one of the – I remember – I think it was the deadline day to – declare for the draft and he was kind of one of the last players to declare for it and then all of a sudden it's just kind of like oh yeah he's a first round talent and i know the ringer has him 17th going to the hawks mm. I mean, it's in their mock draft but still uh it seems like that decision <laughs> paid well, out it's interesting well, because there there is talk that he's got a guarantee because he shut down workouts um and I know I'm I'm looking here at the profile. I wrote about him. No, I didn't write him. I'm talking about Scott Rimportal wrote it. Uh, but that was back first week of June. And at that point, the ringer had him 42nd on their mock. So there are there's plenty of talk about, you know, late uh late first round, or not late first round, late teens being his potential range now. So that could make a lot of sense. 
uh, particularly obviously coming out of Georgia, if the Hawks were to be the team that say, yeah, this is the guy we want to pick and we want to keep around. And honestly, he's probably a very Hawksy player with some of the things they've been doing in recent years. And would like him and John Collins paired together, for example, super fun. Like right. talk about a really interesting front line that that would certainly fit that bill. I guess the thing with that though is, are the Hawks going to have a pick in that range based on their attempts to trade up and talk? They don't want to have too many rookies on their team this year and. You know, where they may factor into the Pelicans with four and deals around that. Possible that the Pelicans could be making pick that spot. I don't know. Um I'm I'm increasingly pessimistic about the chances of him being available when the books pick. Yeah. He is he is my guy if he's there though, I think. I think he is my number one at this point. Yeah, I mean I echo what you said, but there's just a lot to like and a lot to build on what he already did. And not even even like the most, pro- you know, not productive, but certainly not like the best development environment to do it because it wasn't like Georgia was the powerhouse by any means, but still. There is also, and I mean, we've already mentioned it in regard to other players, but there is a DJ Wilson esque thing here too i mean i'm i'm not oblivious to that dj's ability to you know grab a rebound and go be a fast break try pick out a pass show some glimpses of shooting that you're like oh if you could improve on that even better um he wasn't quite the tangible defense that you know claxton was able to produce like in terms of blocks and steals where it's you're not even having to look very far. It's very obvious that this guy is influencing the game at that end of the floor, but it, it does extend beyond that. It goes down to his position, his ability to switch, um, his lateral quickness. Just The fact he will cover a lot of ground, kind of something that gets talked about with the books, and that's why it's interesting too. It's these players that can you know, almost offer help just because of their size. You know, without, without necessarily moving out of position, you can guard one and a half players, we'll say. It's something Yanis has made kind of most of the time an art of. Sometimes when he's not particularly locked in, it doesn't look quite as good. But there is there's something DJ Wilson-esque there too. If I'm being honest, I think Claxton has potential to do a lot more though. Um, could turn into a really, really good big. Um mm a potential starting caliber big years down the line where you're like, this guy's good and he plays the right way where we can, we can be pretty versatile and we could do a lot of different things with him. So yeah, I'm very much all aboard the Nick Claxton train. Uh, we'll move on. Let's move on to the next one. We will go to, I mean, it's not a surprise. There's another big man I really like because you know, that's, that's my brand, but Fiondu Kevin Gailey, um, I don't want to give too many. Uh, I'll come out with it. People won't be surprised. It's interesting. We've got two relatives of kind of legendary defensive centers to talk about in this case. And um, we're starting here with Dikembe Mutombo's nephew, right? Mm hmm. Um, and I mean, Kamigali played at Florida State. Put up really, really good just kind of box score production. I don't have it in front of me. Something like 15.6 points, 11 rebounds, maybe something in that range. Um, possibly even a little bit better. Sorry. Um, 24.5 points, 11 rebounds, 2.8 blocks per 40 minutes is what he put up. So, yeah, really good. Um <sighs> the kind of production that you would instantly think this guy again a little bit surprising he's not higher up boards now that was a step forward and i think his stock has certainly taken a major jump to get him to this point um but you're talking about someone who's 610 um tree wingspan really really explosively athletic and i think most importantly here it's his vertical athleticism his vertical explosion like 
that's what you see on the defensive end. If you go and watch any footage of him, if you go and watch highlights where he just blocks shot after shot, he doesn't just block shots. Like he gets up and he just erases these shots in a way that not many guys are capable of doing. The question is really what he can be offensively, particularly as so many of his points just came to like, you know, just kind of overpowering opponents. Like this guy again, just super strong and a physique that you're like, yeah, he'll be able to mix it. Not quite as tall though as some of the guys he'd be going up against. That may not yeah. be as easy for him to just have his way on the offensive side inside. And probably fair to say he'll need to develop some more refined kind of moves in around the post, some different kind of some different avenues to scoring. Um uh, while also he's demonstrated some shooting ability. I mean he shot about 36% from deep. But low not, amount of attempts, but still that's low amount of attempts, not all that convincing, but he can do it. And if you could get him to do it more often and it still holds up, that would be great. Um what, what do you think the thing that's possibly holding him back from being something bigger? Even if it is because the the offensive end, that's obvious, that speaks for itself. But a defender with a lot of the tools he has could still go higher, particularly as a big, because you're saying, okay, that's a rim protector for the next five years, um, a rim protector for the next 10 years. You could view him that way. Do you think it's, okay, a little bit fell happy, maybe he's over-aggressive and he won't get away with the kind of athletic defense that made him dominant in college as easily in the NBA where maybe he'll have to be a bit smarter at times and the jury's out on if that will all marry together. Do you think that's kind of part of the issue here? Yeah, it, it certainly seems like it's more of just kind of reading of the game and having his athleticism and all, everything else like pair up with just kind of knowing where to be and <laughs> timing and all that stuff like that because obviously he just – there's just like a raw power with his game. And he's not the only set of prospect that's like that. I know there's one coming up like that, but there's just something about him that is just like, holy crap. It just, it captures your attention when you're just watching it play. Yeah. And I, like, I think from a book's perspective, I would be very happy if the books picked him. I think, look, there are some, obvious flaws there's some obvious areas where he'll need to improve his game probably rework some things and just generally learn um i don't know how ready he'd be to do stuff right away but if you look at you know not a lot of obvious depth for the books at center um would be an understatement considering you know they were clopez as a free agent they have the least amount of control over they may just be like oh look we've got no centers um I do think a player like him in reserve would be useful. Knowing you've got that in the bank, you'd say, okay, that's a good start. And he's someone that we could develop. And if he did start to shoot more often and continue to make shots, then you kind of go, oh, okay. Brooke is not maybe in his post-prime yet, but his post-prime will come pretty soon. Like that will be a factor that will come into his next contract. Ideally, if you could draft a guy here, like, okay, he's got the shot blocking down. If he could learn how to space the floor and kind of work with Brooke and mirror that, there is an element here where you could see, oh, he could be someone who could learn a lot of the things that have made Brooke such a key cog of what the books have been doing. And possibly then a few years down the line, you're not in a spot where you're like, okay, Lopez has declined really rapidly and the whole thing's come apart or he's left or you know whatever it might be it may set you up in a way that gives you some similar skills, but also some new wrinkles in terms of a younger player, quicker, much more athleticism. Like it's also interesting that Kevin Gelly can kind of get out on the break and say, disrupt in the passing lanes, grab a ball and go himself and go and finish. He's, he's kind of an interesting player in the way he moves for his size and his strength in so many other ways that, it would bring a different dimension. I I do think he would be kind of interesting with the books to see them develop him long-term and 
do so well, probably getting him some minutes sooner than later too. Not significant minutes, not crunch time minutes, but minutes all the same. Anything else in Kamigai? No, just very interesting. And I kind of feel like he will be gone by 30. I think so too, but I think where I come with that is I don't think, you know, he'll be gone, Claxton will be gone. Um, the player we're about That's to a talk good point. we're about to talk about next, you know. If it's not one, it's there's one guys is gonna be available, I think is very much the way I'm seeing it. Unless one of them goes super early. Now maybe if Claxton goes at seventeen, sure Kevin Gailey could go and Bruno Fernando, who are about to move on to maybe he could go for another team being like, okay, we'd kind of like a big here. Um, and it's probably, it's probably clear. I mean, anyone who listens to our forwards episode and now people listening to this one, like particularly once you get out of the top few picks, this is the strength of this draft. It's, it's the front court. I mean, even if teams aren't necessarily like, that's what we want. I think there'll be a lot of teams adding front court players. There are certainly some good wings too, but I think between, kind of guys who are going to be playing the four and five, that's really where this draft is at its deepest. And there could be plenty of good role players at those spots that ultimately can be found from it. Um, Bruno Fernando, to move on to him. Um, Excellent name. You think so? Bruno Fernando? I mean, come on. <laughs> it's very... I don't know, maybe that's... It's, it doesn't jump out to me. Maybe that's because... There's a certain zest with it. Bruno Fernando. That would be a really common soccer name. And I think that's why... Oh, yeah. Isn't there... There's Bruno Fernandez, right? I feel like there might have been a Bruno Fernando even that played for Portugal. I really shouldn't be. There, there is Bruno Fernandez, but I feel like I'm probably sidetracking myself now. Um, anyway, enough about that. Yeah, I guess it's a strong name. He is Angolan, so even to me saying Portugal, there's a connection there. Um, Chance to be the first Angolan to be drafted. That doesn't surprise me, I'll be honest. I wasn't like counting all the other Angolans who played (laughs) the NBA on my fingers. Um, Look, I think the thing we start with here is he is an incredibly imposing physical presence. Yep. Like... Talk about a guy who could come in as a rookie and dominate against some veteran centers. Uh, this is your man. You know, he probably can stand to get stronger and put on some more weight too, but he is like, he looks like he's pure muscle. I actually don't know what his body fat came out at at the combine. Um, I like I'd say, no, I don't know. Even if he was at the combine, I assume he was and he did testing, but he is very very impressive on that front and he's athletic too making him this kind of all-round what would you like your modern nba center to look like um kind of a a comparison that i didn't bring out with kevin gary but i feel somewhat applies here too I think there is a touch with both of those guys of the Clint Capellas, where if you're NBA teams, and again, if we're talking about kind of trends and player types that NBA teams think of, there is a case where you're like, okay, we could mold those guys to play this kind of game, and they have the physical strength and the athleticism and largely the mobility that they could do a lot of that stuff. Do you see that? Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I Um, totally agree. Of the of the three players we talked about, Fernando is probably the third of them, in my opinion. I don't know. You might have him. You might prefer him to Capengeli or to Claxton. Um, obviously, Claxton is very different to the other two guys in terms of their physical strength. I don't know. A lot of this is going to be based around, you know, can he just dominate? Can those skills translate to a way where you say? Yeah, he's going to have to do that. He was a great finisher at the rim in college. So, you know, if he's still strong enough that defenders aren't going to bother him and he can finish, well, then that's great in terms of a guy who can feast the pick and roll, probably work off lobs, just kind of really be a strong, uh, a strong big on kind of cleanup duty around the rim. Um, he's certainly not 
unskilled. He can kind of do some things with the ball that makes him just a little bit more intriguing while you're again looking at someone who blocking shots is probably going to be a staple of what he becomes in the NBA. I there's just like, I don't know what, but there's something that I'm just not feeling. I don't know. So I don't even have necessarily something where I'm like let me see, how can I put this? I feel he's kind of a very defined player type, maybe in a way that Karen yeah. Gailey isn't. That I just don't know, even though he's not necessarily he's 20 or so, like he may have room to develop, but I'm I'm not sure what that development would look like or how that would change his game. Um he's maybe just not quite as dynamic. There's something a so little bit of- old school, like he might have a new school body and incorporates some elements of the, the modern big, but there is also a part of it that is very traditional, old-fashioned big, that if this was 10, 15 years ago, and you're like, oh, look at this big, strong, bruising big man who can protect the rim and you know finish well inside, you come up with Bruno Fernando. No, I, I, I completely agree. I think there's... When you talk about like an energy big or like kind of a change of pace big, I feel like that's like code for like, oh, he's more of a traditional center mm-hmm. where he can't really space it out. And I know that's one thing that is intriguing to teams, but it wasn't like he really showed that off at college. I think he only attempted 13 three pointers uh, at Maryland. But yeah, I think that's the thing is, is he just more of like, not one dimensional, but just kind of a more traditional center that's that's kind of the biggest question to your point about how imposing is i know we did it with body fat with pascal eric pascal 5.4 percent <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm still more impressed with pascal because pascal's got about 20 pounds on him um and it's smaller like I, the, pascal at, coming in at that weight should just be like this guy needs to really lose weight and get in shape but it's no he's in shape and he's weighs that but yes, very, very impressive all the same. And I mean, it's like, he looks like the Hulk. I mean, you see pictures of him and you're just like, this guy is different. There there aren't actually a lot of bigs like that in the NBA at present. You know, it, it is, we might call it old fashioned, but maybe there is something of an inefficiency there for a guy who is just, you know, embraces physicality and contact and is that strong that they can come in and, you know, oh, I'm going to protect the rim and I'm going to, Score a lot of easy points inside. Like, let's not forget, obviously, this is not the kind of talent he is, but you can look to someone like Shaquille O'Neal, who absolutely dominated the NBA, was the best player in the league, by basically playing that game. You know, that's what he was. There's nothing wrong with that if you're good enough to do it. Maybe we're getting to a point where there are so few NBA centers who play that way that there is room for guys like that to actually, you know, thrive and have an impact. Maybe... Maybe there should be less of a desire to, as I already did, be like, oh, I can see how you can make him into the mobile Clint Capella rim runner sort. Where instead you could just say, how about you, like, we just let this guy be something of kind of a powerhouse inside. Go to work. Like, you're stronger than the guys you're going up against. Go to work and either stop them from scoring or get your own points. Mm -hmm. Um, Moving on. Let's talk with Jonte Porter. <sighs> it's a pretty grim one, to be honest. I mean, you wrote about him, and I think that's the only reason we're talking about him. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, and the only reason you wrote about him, the only reason we're talking about him, is because of what he looked like he was going to be a year ago. Um, when he kind of surprisingly at the time withdrew from the draft late and in the time since he has gone on to tear his ACL not once but twice which is just a fire disaster um, this is someone we're talking about if we want to talk about modern big man who had all the skills the athleticism the mobility the versatility all of the various things he could do on both ends of the floor where you're like this guy could really be special and particularly uh, obviously less so this year after the injuries, but I can remember back to last year and a lot of the writing around them uh, from people who covered the draft was like, 
Uh, this is a guy who could be like top five players. In he was last year's like Grant Williams. Uh, I don't think so. I think more so than that. More so, much more oh, hyped. Yeah, people thinking, you know, this is a guy who could develop into kind of a surprise star at the very least. Is going to be, you know, unheralded. I'd, I like an, so much hope for the Horford esque status, where it's like yeah. maybe you're not a star, but it's like this guy is incredibly good. There's so much both ends of the floor, that sort of thing. Um, but honestly, I don't know. Like, he may not get drafted. Um, it's entirely possible. I mean, if that's the case, the books have an open two way contract, and I'm all for a jump on that. You know. Yeah. So is Jordan. Jordan will, oh. will happily watch the Wisconsin herd again, I think, if Jonte Porter was there. But <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be using the 38 overall pick on him. They're like, this is um, in a previous episode, we talked about Chimo Kiki and the Torn ACL. And we're talking about a guy who, at this point, you know, when the injury has happened twice, and it's happened the second time because he rushed back. You shouldn't tear your ACL twice in five months because you shouldn't be playing within five months. Yeah. So there's a lot there that's kind of, first of all, like who's protecting the player? Um, also his own judgments, all sorts of things. But unfortunately, all of that's irrelevant because the end result is... You've got two torn ACLs. Two torn ACLs and you've got a significant weakness in your right knee which it's like you gotta live with that i mean you can't pretend oh you know it's just gonna be fine it won't be he you've torn your acl twice like give me the examples of guys who torn their acl twice and worked out really well and porter already came i mean to continue the body he was already like when he showed up to the combine in 2018 i believe he had like 15 percent body fat like he's not a very conditioned athlete I mean, it's hard to be conditioned then as well when you keep tearing your ACL. So since exactly. then, um, you're not, he's not going to have got into peak physical conditioning. I mean, yeah, I I don't even really know here. I mean, it's maybe the two shouldn't necessarily be kind of put together, but I think there's also an element of his brother is Michael Porter Jr. here. And if we look at Michael Porter Jr.'s issues with his own health. If I remember correctly, too, I believe he has sisters that played. Let me look this up. I believe they also played sports and they had to retire early because of injuries. Sister Sierra Porter is medically retired in her senior year at Missouri. Um, so they've all gone through Missouri and yeah, one of the sisters or sorry, is no longer medically retired. So she retired and then came out of medical retirement, Oh, which that's more encouraging. Of, <laughs> it's also kind of like coming back from a torn ACL five months after it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, all of it's like, it's not the sort of thing I'd, I'd want to read too much into or make a big deal out of, but okay. If you can point to a brother who's had like, major back surgeries like has had discs removed at like 19 years old probably at the time 18 years old michael porter jr i don't know when when that happened but you're talking about major like not common for teenagers to have to have discs removed to have back injuries of that caliber then you've got brother with two torn acls sister also major injury history it's kind of not great. I don't. I honestly, I don't have a lot to say. Like, I mean, we haven't talked a whole lot about Porter's skills here, but I, I mean, I honestly don't know how relevant they are. He's incredibly skilled. Um, name a skill. He's probably got it. <laughs> but the problem is, his <sighs> his health is just like you. I don't think you can overlook that. No. I'd be look, some team in the second round should take a flyer on him. If he's still available in the fifties and you've got a second round pick, like what have you got to lose? But again, the books need to make this pick count. 
this is not exactly the soundest process you'd use if you're looking to do that. I'm not saying that maybe he gets healthy somehow and stays healthy and you end up regretting it. That's fine, but I think you'd look really stupid if you took the guy with two torn ACLs and then after a year, say, he tears his ACL and you're like, oh, how, how could we possibly have known? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody told us. Um, so, yeah. Okay, Jordan, we've got one last prospect to talk about. Um, he follows the Kevin Porter Jr. mold, which came in the very first episode. He also follows recorded. the Jante Porter mold, too. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Um, but in terms of a guy who we probably didn't really plan to cover in any way, but has kind of been falling. Um, and at this point, it seems like, you know what? Just in case, we should probably consider this guy could end up in the book's range. You're the man doing the research, so I'm going to... I do know about him. I think most people will know about him, but you are the expert here, so I'm going to cede the floor to you. Ball. Ball. (laughs) Okay, will we start with the name? Good name. Repeatable. If you had a son, Jordan, would you call the son Jordan Jordan? I mean, I'm curious because that's there was a there was a. I mean, you couldn't because your surname is not Jordan, but you could you couldn't give him Tresky Tresky. That would be his. Actually, I, you I feel like too? that kid would get picked on Tresky Tresky. But yeah, you could I call him believe... Jordan Jordan Tresky. I mean, yeah, I know you're a fan of middle names. Speaking of middle names, his <laughs> middle name is Manute. Is it really? Yes, yeah, Bold Manute Bold. Well, that is that makes the name all the better. Uh, he is, of course, Manupal's son. One of, I believe, ten children Manupal had. I feel like I read that somewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's it's not immaterial that he's Manupal's son because it does speak to some of the strengths and elements of his game, but. Jordan, you can give us a better rundown. Well, well, I don't, I, I don't know. I just don't know where to start with Bull Bull because he is. I don't know. I think he's just very fascinating because he's almost he's seven two and a half with a seven seven wingspan, standing reach of almost ten feet. That's like nine seven. So literally, he could just like jump up and put the ball in a basket, which is pretty (laughs) incredible. Anyway, um, but just very, he can shoot the lights out pretty easily. I believe he shot, he only played in nine games with Oregon last year, and we'll get to the reasons why that was the case, but shot like 52% from three and a very small amount of attempts, obviously, but still very encouraging. John Henson-esque sample, that is. John Yes, John Henson asked sample. Can really move well with the ball, can do a variety of moves. He's very fluid. He's not like he's a good athletically and obviously physically, he's just I don't want to call him a freak because it just makes it sound like that's I don't know. He's just it, it's just this anomaly 2K He's player son. generator. It's Manupal's son. Yeah, it's, it's Manupal's son. Like if you're looking for players with comparable uh, physical attributes, there are very few in NBA history. One of them is his father. <laughs> yeah. I believe he's also like Rudy Gobert is like the biggest big man, biggest NBA player, right? That sounds oh. correct. Sounds correct. I mean, he's taller than him no no it's wrong it's completely wrong boban oh yeah you're right of course i'm right boban seven four that's incredible anyway but still longer than i well maybe not longer than boban but longer than rudy gobert like he just everything is just this anomaly and physical specimen of course when you're built like bobol and only weigh a little over 200 pounds and have a stress fracture in your navicular bone, which uh, the likes of Brooke Lopez had, Joel mm-hmm. Embiid, so Drunus Lugoskis. I mean, it's 
it's not a very good injury for any big man, but certainly more so for a player that's built like Bill Bull, who is not strong at all. Shout out to the combine, 30 pounds lighter than what he uh, played at Oregon. So it kind of shows you just the toll it took on his body after the injury. Um, more so than that, I mean, there was a lot of character questions about like how much does he like the game, his work ethic, and all this stuff dating back to high school. There's just a lot of stuff swirling around him, and it's very, it's. I think Jonathan Gavoni they they had a recent write-up about like just like projecting outside of like Zion and RJ Barrett, John Morant, the the probably definitive top three. Maybe it changes, but the top three who has like the highest ceiling and he went with Bobo, but like everything, like just the floor of everything could just be Bobo as third highest ceiling outside of the top three. The outside highest of the top ceiling. three. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I mean, there's so many elements of his game that, you know, if he had been healthy and done them over a longer sample size and so much else, you'd be like, Oh, this guy is like one of the next, again, I hate the term, but it is the term that works unicorns. Uh, that's going to come and kind of shake up the NBA landscape. I mean, of things that I do know about him, things that are worth noting, and there'll be plenty of familiarity here, um, of Sudanese descent, um, much like Ton Maker. Um, Dinka Tribe. Dinka Tribe. That's exactly where I was going. Um, we've talked to the Dinka Tribe quite a lot on the Win and Six podcast. It was, I, it was very informative. I didn't know. <laughs> um, but... It is relevant again in this case because when you're talking about his frame and it's like, I mean, there's other concerns obviously with his injury history now. You're not necessarily being like, that guy should put on weight. But again, this would be very much like Tom. The process of, oh, great. We just wait till he bulks up is not necessarily going to be that straightforward. He's always going to be a naturally wiry frame. Um, That is literally, it is down to the genetics. Um, so I mean, he is an incredibly intriguing player, just he is he is not quite one of a kind because of his father. Uh, but like a player of that size, that say shot blocking potential, the ability to shoot that he has, if he falls, do you take him? <laughs> I know John Hammond would have. Oh, yeah. Certainly. Where did the magic pick? He's probably not falling. Sixteen. Oh, okay. So he's he's good at sixteen. I think I've read three pieces already about Bull Bull, and it all of them had or not three, but like there's three pieces about like Bull Bull being like, if whichever GM ends up selecting him, he's probably gonna get fired because. Of it. <laughs> You like don't that's... think you don't think the magic of John Hammond's stream front court of Mo Bamba and Bull Ball is gonna do the business? I don't know. Or be healthy enough to get on the court is probably the um Yeah, I You didn't answer me though. Would you pick him if he's there? I don't know. That's not what I, like, I didn't ask you like directly. Dude, would you pick him? Come on, Jordan. Probably He's not. A, probably not. Because you're just not. Lighting, you you're lighting okay. that pick on fire. Because are you just... though? I don't know. To me, like I know, like Thon is obviously a, a very easy comparison because of just genetically. <laughs> but he's almost anti-Thon. Is that in that like what we were talking about Thon when he was drafted and our hope when he was with the Bucks? It was all theoretical. Like yeah. Bo could like shoot. Yeah, he's he's actually well. done it, although limited sample size because of injury and whatever. In actual college games, he has done that. It's not like, oh, this guy wants to shoot, so we're going to call him a shooter. And I, th- that's only just like... See, this is the point I'm making. This is like when you say that, it's hard to say that if he's there, that you just... Well, he can do the things. Now, obviously, I think the key part of this, and if he's falling that far, it's going to be a major consideration of this. And if you're going to pick him, like you can't pick him without having had access to his medical records. And particularly in a situation like this, this is a guy who, I mean, he could still go as high as 12, say. He was the, the Hornets, I think, were the team that for the longest time, it just seemed like he was a lock in every mock to be mocked to the Hornets. And 
I don't, again, I don't know. Um, I don't think Rich Paul is his agent. Maybe he'll say it and I'll be like, oh no, here we go again. But I don't know who his people are. I don't know who his advisors are, who's in his camp, but how willing they will be to share his medical records with teams at the back end of the draft remains to be seen, unless they feel like, okay, we've got to do this, or otherwise, who knows where he slides to. Um, but if you got to look at his medical records and you feel confident that, look, we could do something here, I think it's a big swing, but it's also a player that you just wouldn't expect to have a chance out of that spot. And if it works out, like... By the way, I, sorry. Go on. I know we kind of just touched on the shooting, but if you look at what he did in college, again, nine games and all non-conference, and so, so a lot of it's just kind of early season tune-up games. I know like UW Green Bay played against Oregon, and that's you know that's not like a, a Horizon League. That's a very <laughs> small school compared to like every other Division One school. But like the stuff that he's doing, he's still product like productive with d- definitive flaws and size or not size but like strength concerns and he's still putting up like 20 points nine rebounds 21 9.6 rebounds 2.7 blocks on shooting splits of 56.1 52 on 2.8 attempts per game from three and 75.7 from the line it's nine games look it's nine games but like, I, you're confusing me because everything you're saying is good. And then I'm like, Sophie's there. Would you pick him? And <laughs> you're getting flustered and trying to avoid just, the question. You don't. I, I, under, I, mean, I understand how just like weird he is as a prospect. Um, if the books end up drafting Bobo, I'm not saying we'd be here talking about on draft night, like being like, oh, wow, this is incredible. They've hit the jackpot. But we would be having a conversation where we're like, mm, there's a small chance they might have hit the jackpot here. Now, the, there may be a bigger chance that they have just set their pick on fire, um, yeah. as you said earlier, but there is a small chance they've hit the jackpot. And, you know, as, not just a small chance, like you could say, for any player in that range, actually a, a decently bigger chance than you would usually get with a 38 overall pick. Even the most, like, modestly optimistic outcome you might be getting a guy that could hit 40 percent of his threes he all he has to do is just stand there and shoot it and he might hit 40 percent of those threes. and no one's blocking the shot like no one's blocking the shot he could block i know defensively there's a lot of you could have three guys around him jumping up in the air no one can block it so if you're that good a shooter at that size like i mean I'm watching Jordan's face right now. I'm watching him just gradually talk himself into ball ball. It's glorious. Um, I mean, it. <laughs> in reality, he's not going to be there. Um, I, I still would be shocked if he was. Um, if he is there, it's going to be a whole tortured kind of, oh my God, what do you do here? Because he is among the people that were invited to the green room. That doesn't surprise me, but it's not like would- there's not occasion for lots of long sad faces in the green room where a guy gets picked up Deontay Davis or Scal Labissier yeah Deontay Davis is one that really kind of went wrong Scal too I suppose Um, but yeah look I guess we'll see what happens Um, that does it for Sanders that does it for all four roles Jordan if I had to press you for your top three favorite prospects for the books for the Bucks, I think I'll go Windler. I can't separate or Samanich, obviously. I'm going to play realistic in terms of I don't think Cam Johnson will be available, but he would be in my top three. Did I go with Bull Bull? <laughs> if you think he's going to be there now, Jordan, no, I mean, this no. would have been an incredible turnaround the space of a few minutes. I really want to say Tybal. No, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Cam Johnson just because I'm being lazy. And we have to finish this up. <laughs> I'm going to go Nick Claxton. 
Hydro. Oh, man. I know that third one's hard. This is the thing. I could easily give five that I'd be very happy with this year. And I, I if I was in the book's war room, I would be no use. Because I'd be like, eh, there's quite a few who are like, okay. Yeah, I would like them. <laughs> Not necessarily strong feelings, but I like that guy and that guy and that guy. Oh, I'm going to go... I think I talked myself into Dylan Windler when we talked to Dylan Windler. You certainly sound like it. I think <laughs> I'm going to go Dylan Windler. I, I mean, I like Luke Samanich. I like Casey Okpala. Um, you like the idea of Lewis I King? Like, King? I like the idea of who? Luke King. Not really. Um, it's. I think it's a very abstract idea. Yeah. I like Fiondo Cavagelli. I like Eric Pascal. I like a lot of these guys. They're all like, yeah, it seems like a good guy. You like Bo Ball? You never answered. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's maybe that's where we should finish on is, you know, yeah. do you like Bo Ball? I don't know. Bo Ball is the great unknowable. I'm guessing that's what He's Bo Ball translates to is, yeah. you know, the great unknowable. Um I mean, would I pick him if he's there? I'd have to consider it because you're like, oh, what's this giant gift that's just fallen in our lap? Uh, <laughs> do we pass the parcel or two do... and a half gift? I don't know. I honestly, I mean, second time's a charm with, you know, long, raw, intriguing, weird Sudanese prospect. They're, I won't compare them. You're right. They're not comparable. There's a lot more concrete there. But yeah, Bobo, I think, is probably someone that we don't need to give a lot of attention to, but we have to give some mention to, just so that when Thursday night comes around and we're like, okay, so Bobo is your newest Milwaukee book. Um, you, know, you all saw it coming. We will be back then um, in the late, late hours of Thursday night um to i mean react to whatever the books have done whoever they've picked if they've traded the pick whatever sort of stuff is going on involving the milwaukee books until then make sure you check out all of our draft coverage on behind book pass and after then we'll have all of the reaction to days following to whatever the books have done also subscribe to us on apple podcast follow us on soundcloud addison stitcher favorites and tune in radio that way you can be sure never to miss an episode of winning six as always Thank you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.